This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Philippians, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecala.church. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Uh, download the Hui Kala app. There's a special feature in there that if you click on today's message, there's a button that says fill in notes where you can actually f- uh, follow along with today's message and fill in your notes on your mobile device if you want to do it that way. Bring a sheet of paper maybe, just take some good notes, uh, jot some thoughts down as we go through them, uh, as we go through this study of Philippians. It's been very helpful for me if I, as I've studied through it. I hope it's been applicable uh, for you as well. Philippians chapter one is where we're at. Again, just to provide a little bit of uh, context and to uh, help you to remember uh, what's going on here. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, It's a church that he started from scratch uh, about 10 years earlier. Uh, He traveled on his missionary journeys and moves on uh, and finds himself in prison and writes a letter back to them. They have a special relationship because uh, a lot of these folks during Paul's journeys have uh, financially supported him. They've uh, prayed together. They've encouraged one another uh, through this process. And so it's a special, unique relationship that they have. And so uh, awesome book of the Bible. We don't find any sharp rebukes. Paul isn't calling anybody out for false teaching. He's not uh, getting on people's case for living the wrong way. Just a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy in this letter, uh, and a lot of gratitude. And so we find ourselves there today. Paul also helps them from the very beginning to make sure that they have the right perspective. And that's what we'll be taking a look at today. Uh, I've entitled today's message, One Life, One Opportunity. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 20. I'll read down through verse number 26 this morning. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not, or I I don't know which one I will choose, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. I had the uh, opportunity, and really it was a blessing to be able to grow up in a Christian home. Both my parents were uh, Christians, and uh, took me and my brother to church every single Sunday. Uh, my parents were really kind of first-generation Christians. They were trying to figure it out on their own. They themselves did not grow up uh, in Christian homes, and they made a decision uh, that uh, for me and my brother, every time the church doors were open, they were going to have us there. They knew that that was right, and they wanted to do that. Uh, and so they did that, and me and my brother were helped uh, by that for sure. But when it came time for me to uh, graduate high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life. And there's a couple of things that I was interested in, but I didn't really have the money to go to college uh, during that time or anything. And I had a friend who uh, decided to join the military and I thought I'd go down and talk to the recruiter with him. And anybody who's ever gone to just talk to the recruiter knows how that works, right? You always get sucked in every single time. Uh, they promise the moon to you and you decide that you can take it. Uh, and so the next thing you know, I'd sign up for the military. And my parents, uh, I went home and I was, I was 17, so my parents had to sign for me. Uh, and, and so they said, are you sure this is what you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't really know about anything. I'm 17, but I think this would be fun. Uh, I think it'd be kind of good. You know, I don't want to live and die in a town of 4,000 people. And so get a chance to get out and see the world and uh, all that other good stuff. My parents said, okay. And so they signed off for me and that was it. Never did they ask, is this what God's plan for your life is? And I don't fault my parents for that. They didn't know the right questions to ask. They just know, have your kids in church, do the right thing. And they did, did a great job of that. But nobody ever asked, you know, have you prayed about this? Is this where God wants you to be? Is this God's plan for your life? Or is this just what you want to do? I didn't have any of the answers to that because I hadn't thought of the questions yet. But Paul, as he writes here, writes to the church at Philippi and tells them, guys, you only have one life to live. Make sure that you live it well and you live it with the right priorities. 
And so when we ask ourselves questions about our life, we shouldn't ask, do I think this is fun? Is this what I want? What would I like to do? We have to always ask ourselves the question, God, is this what you would have me to do? Because we have to understand that God has a plan for our life, and oftentimes we have a plan for our life, and sometimes our plans, how many of you don't know this already, don't always jive with God's plans, right? But how many of you also know this? God's plans are always better than our plans 100% of the time, always. And so we really need to learn to live a life of submission God, I trust you. God, I don't fully understand this situation, but I trust you, and I know that you've got a bigger plan in place for me. Because here's the fact of the matter. All of us one day will stand before God, and we can't wait until we get to the end of our life to prepare for that because you might already be at the end of your life. You just don't know it yet. So we have to really prepare for that day even today. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, that our day to see Christ could be this afternoon, and we need to be ready for that. And Paul, as he's looking at imprisonment and possibly the end of his life, he doesn't really know. He kind of begins to stop and take inventory for a minute. Am I on the right track? Am I putting value on the things that are important? Am I living in a way that's only self-serving and selfish, or am I truly living with Jesus in perspective? That's what we'll take a look at uh, today in this passage of Scripture. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do. Jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, we have to, at some point, consider the fruit of our life. We need to be able to pull over for a minute from time to time and say, hey, am I going the right direction? Is this un thing unfolding the way that I had anticipated? Oftentimes, uh, we, we drift, and we get off track, and we don't realize until it's too late I don't like to go to the beach because the uh, sand always winds up more sand in my car than actually on the beach itself. Uh, and so for that reason, I'm not a big fan of the beach. But however, my wife grew up on Pensacola Beach, and so she loves the beach. And so because my wife loves the beach, guess what? I love the beach. Uh, <laughs> and that's how it works whenever you get married, right? And so, um, and so I, I go, and I, uh, I go to the beach, and I have a good attitude about it. And every time we go, you know, we're always concerned about uh, theft and people stealing our stuff and things like that. And uh, when we had first come, come to Honolulu in the military, we hadn't been here for maybe uh, six months or so. And we were out with some friends seeing the island. And we, we got out of our car and got back in 30 seconds later. And my wife's uh, sister's purse was gone. 30 seconds. We turn your back. And so we realized really quickly, if you don't want to lose something, never lose sight of it. So every time we go to the beach, every single time if we get in the water, we always put our stuff... <laughs> under our, our beach towels because nobody thinks there's actually anything under the beach towel, right? I don't know how that brings us some sense of security, right? Like we put it under the towel, right? Because nobody would ever think that there's something under the towel. And so we, we covered up. But, but then we always are looking back to make sure that our stuff's there. I remember one time in particular, we were out there and playing and stuff like that and talking and we had our kids out there and was throwing the kids up in the air, going underneath and see if we could find seashells on the bottom and stuff. And then we look up and all of our stuff is gone. And I'm just like, oh, this is bad. This is so bad. And I look and I have absolute panic. And I remember, oh, our, our stuff was directly in front of the gate to the pool of that hotel. And not only was our stuff missing, the gate to the pool of the hotel was missing. <laughs> They just took it all. But I didn't realize. In our time in the water, I hadn't stayed in one place. I had drifted over time. And then I look up, and I don't know where I am. And I'm trying to get my bearings, and where's the, where's the gate of the pool? More importantly, where's my stuff? Is my stuff still there? And our stuff is still there. I just couldn't see it because I drifted. Oftentimes, we in the Christian life just kind of put it on autopilot. We show up to church on Sunday. We come back next Sunday. If we're not too busy, you're not too tired, or don't have anything going on. And then we may or may not show up the following Sunday. And then over a period of six months, we've drifted, and we didn't even know it. You just look up, and you're like, how did I wind up here? Oftentimes, good Christian couples in their marriage wake up one morning, and they go, how did we wind up here in our marriage? What What happened? And the fact of the matter is, is that drifting is automatic. You're automatically going to drift, but we have to intentionally stay the course. And so Paul in this, this passage here is saying, take a look at verse number 22 in our passage. He says this, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. 
I'm stopping for a second to think about the culmination of my life and what good or bad has come from it. And Paul's stopping for a second to take inventory. And you and I should stop from time to time and take inventory. I need to ask myself, is this going the way that I'd anticipated? Am I seeing the fruit that I want? As, as parents, sometimes this is difficult in raising children. And the fact that uh, we sometimes make excuses for our kids when they act a certain way, don't we? Well, our daughter Tallulah, she just turned three. So, of course, she's going to be wild and rambunctious and crazy. She's three years old after all. The problem is, is that when they get into the preteen years, we begin to say, well, they're a preteen after all. You know, they're going through this weird phase in life. and They're a preteen. And then when they become teenagers, well, they're just teenagers. You know how that goes, Right. And then when they begin to be a senior, junior in high school, well, they're trying to explore early adulthood. And then when they join college, they're like, well, they're just trying to be an adult and trying to figure out life for the first time. And we continue to make excuses, but we never stop to take inventory. My three-year-old daughter is disobedient because she's a rebellious pagan, not because she's three. And she needs to be taught obedience at three years old. I don't get to just give her a pass because she's three. My teenager doesn't just get to go through a phase that they're in where they don't want to talk to their parents and don't want to be around their parents. That's a problem. That's a red flag. That's a warning sign that something's not right somewhere. I can't just make excuses for that. I need to take inventory. And if, if I have a teenage son who doesn't want to talk to me, I need to ask the question, why doesn't my son want a relationship with me? I've got to ask that question. And so Paul's saying, I'm back at a time where it's convenient for Paul to take inventory of his life because he's sitting in prison. He's saying, you guys are the fruit of my labor, and you need to ask yourself this question today. Are you content with the fruit bearing that you see in your life? Two weeks ago on our church anniversary, we took a, took a look at John 15 where Jesus talks about fruit bearing and pruning. Do you like the fruit that you see? Do you, do you think that the fruit that you have is good fruit? Paul looks around at this fruit that he sees from the life of the church at Philippi, and he says, I like what I say. You guys are the fruit of my labor. You see, our fruit or lack thereof is really determined by our focus and our priorities. If you have fruit, it's because you were intentional in bearing fruit. If you don't have fruit or you think you got crummy fruit, just know it's just a lack of priorities and a lack of focus. I'll ask this question. How many of you this week walked out to your backyard and had at least 10 ears of corn in your backyard? Raise your hand. 10 ears of corn, anybody? How many had five ears of corn? Raise your hand. How many people had a ear of corn in your backyard that you planted yourself? Nobody. How many of you were disappointed when you walked out and did not see any corn in your backyard this week? You know why? Because you didn't plant any, therefore you didn't expect any, right? You'd actually been shocked had there been a corn stalk in your backyard. What's going on? Who's playing tricks on me? People are messing with me. It wasn't there because you didn't plant it and you didn't intend to have it. You know why? Because you didn't focus on planting corn this week and you weren't disappointed by it. You didn't have any fruit. The problem is, is if you don't see spiritual fruit, it's because you're not focused on it. It's funny, sometimes people are, are bummed out. I, I don't have any spiritual fruit in my life. I don't have, you know, joy. Or I don't have any peace. I don't have any relationships with any, anybody else. How much time did you spend cultivating that this week? Well, none. Oh, it doesn't just grow automatically. You know, it grows automatically. Weeds. Hmm. How many of you saw weeds on your sidewalk this week? Yeah, absolutely, right? Because if you're bearing fruit, it's because you're trying to bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, it's because you haven't put any time or attention into seeing that fruit in your life. Keep your finger here in Philippians 1. We're going to come back in a second. But flip over if you would to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, one, one book over to the right in your Bible. Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and he says in chapter number 3, verse number 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're a Christian, and you put your sins to death and risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. 
For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. He's saying, hey, stop looking at everything around you and start looking up. That's where your focus, that's where your affection, that's where your time, energy, attention needs to go on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. And many Christians, unfortunately, don't have their affections on the things above, aren't focused on the things of heaven, aren't focused on the eternal. You know why? Because their affections are here on earth. And so then the question is, are, are you risen with Christ? If so, you put out your affections in the wrong place. I need to focus on the things that are eternal, the things that will last. I love verse number four. Take a look at that, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. You might have missed verse number four if you just glance over. When Christ, who is our life, He's everything to us. He's not one of the things that we dabble in. He's not one of the things that we are, are concerned with. He is our life. You know why? Because my affections are in the things above, not on the things of this earth. So I need to put my focus on the things that really, really matter. Jesus went farther than that in, verse, in Matthew chapter number six. He said this, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth doesn't eat, doesn't eat and rust doesn't corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. Put your treasure in heaven, and he says this phrase, which most of you could quote by heart, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure at today? I can tell you, by the way, where you put your time, your attention, and your finances. That's a dead giveaway every single time. If you spend 10, 12 hours a day at work and spend zero time with God, that's where your treasure is. I'm not saying you gotta spend 10, 12 hours with God, but how many of you have said this before? I just did not have time to read my Bible today. I didn't have time to spend time with God today. Raise your hand if, you, if you've ever said that in your life. If you did not raise your hand, you are a time management ninja <laughs> and are so much more spiritual than everybody else in the room. Congratulations. But you know what the fact of the matter is? And you've heard this before, so I'm not telling you anything new. You have the same 24 hours that everybody else has. It's just how you allocate it. It's a matter of priorities and focus. It's funny the times that I've said, I didn't really have time to get around to reading the Bible today. I've spent, you know, two hours on social media, 45 minutes looking at my phone, you know, an hour having a conversation with somebody that really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Time sitting on the couch, flipping through channels, trying to be entertained. But I didn't have time for the Bible. No, you didn't have a priority for the Bible. It's not a focus for you. So, set your affections on the things that are above. I know people before who says, well, I really couldn't afford to, to tithe or to give. That's where your treasure's at then. I've known guys who say, I can't afford to give because I have a $1,000 a month truck payment. Wow. I'd love to see what a $1,000 a month truck looks like. I, that, that's got to be unbelievable. But I'd like to see what a truck looks like that keeps someone from being obedient to God. Ouch. Priorities. It's a matter of where I place my priorities. You know, it's funny because when, you know, you talk to somebody and they're constantly pulling their phone out, pulling their phone out, pulling their phone out while you're trying to have a conversation with them. You see where their focus is. You see where their attention is. It's not on you. And again, I'm not, I ain't mad at nobody. I'm just trying to help you. When you can't look somebody in the eye and have a conversation because you have to pull out your phone, you're saying to that person, you're not, you're not valuable to me. You don't matter to me. And the things of this world have arrested our attention where we really have no appetite sometimes for the things of God. We have no appetite for spiritual things because the world has arrested our attention. Paul says, no, 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 no. You need to focus on the things which are above. You see, fruit bearing takes time and consistency. You're not gonna bear fruit overnight. You know, the amazing thing is that Angela and I right now in our marriage and in our family are beginning to reap some of the fruit that we've been sowing for the last 20 years. And sometimes we look at the fruit that we're reaping and we say, Man, we probably should have done some things differently. But you know what? That fruit bearing takes time. And there's other things that we look at and we go, we were 100% right to do that. One of those following Jesus. 100% right. Best decision we ever made. Put God first in all things. Best decision ever. 
And now we're beginning to see the fruit of that two decades later, and it's really good fruit, and we're really thankful for it, but it takes time. I've known people before who say, you oh, know, I tried the whole church thing for a while. How long did you try it for? Like, like three months, man. I went like all the time. Three months? Can you imagine saying like, I tried the whole health and fitness thing one time. It just doesn't work. How long did you try it? Three months. Well, you didn't, you weren't consistent. You didn't try it. <laughs> you didn't put your full effort into it. Paul says, I am analyzing the fruit of my life and I like what I see because I invested it well. I had the opportunity to read a really good book several years ago. Uh, the spiritual, uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret was the name of it. If you don't know, Hudson Taylor was a, a famous missionary to China. Uh, he founded the China Inland Mission, did a lot of great work in bringing Chinese to Christ. Uh, he was unique in the fact that he went over there and, and truly tried to live like one of the people uh, and lived in the same type of villages as they did. He grew long hair and put it in a ponytail so he could be like them and uh, began to be involved in what they were going on. It made a great uh, strides in the cause for Christ. But as I read his book, I was struck by this. It wasn't the focus of the book. It was just what I got from it. Hudson Taylor's wife got sick and he sent her back to, to England and he stayed in China. And she died while he was still in China. And his kids ended up being raised by a nanny and he would come back and visit from time to time but was really focused on the work in China. And as I'm reading this book, I'm struck with the idea that this guy did great things for the Chinese people, great things for the cause of Christ, but he left his family behind in the process. And as they, as they finished the book, he, he died with some of his children. He, he didn't even know them, really. And if his children knew anything about the cause of Christ or about the gospel or about the Bible, they didn't learn it from their dad. They learned it from a nanny or a stand-in because dad was checked out. And I looked at that, and my heart hurt when I read it because this man had done so much for the cause of Christ, but at such a high cost of his own family that he got his priorities mixed up. And sometimes we can misprioritize things that are actually really, really good things to the neglect of things that are more important. So this requires us from time to time to pull over for a second and say, hey, am I seeing the fruit that I want? Do I have my priorities in the right place? I think most of us, fashion what your priorities are, you say, uh, faith, Family, and then whatever else is the, the, the last one. That's usually uh, the one that's uh, a little bit different. Some people say fun, faith, family, fun. Other people say faith, family, country, faith, family, service. But most of us would say faith and family, number one priorities. Do, does the way that you live your life this past week, does it reflect that as your priorities? Or would we say that Facebook, faith, and family would be your priorities? Fox News, faith, family are your priorities. You know? Again, we can talk all day about what our priorities are, but our life will bear that out. And so from time to time, we gotta pull over for a second and say, hey, am I seeing the type of fruit that I want? And sometimes we might need to ask a solid Christian in our lives, hey, tell me about the fruit that you see in my life. Is it good? Is it bad? Is there something I could change? Is there something I could do? Because we have to keep the right focus, keep the right perspective. Secondly, we must live with eternity in mind daily, every single day. Realize this, life is short, eternity is long, prepare for eternity. Look, I don't care who you are or how old you are, 100 years from now, it's not gonna matter what kind of car you drove, where you worked, how successful you were, how much money you had, what people thought of you. 100 years from now, none of that matters. You're dead, you're gone, you're living in eternity. And that lasts forever. If you take a look at what Paul says in verse number, uh, turn back to you, uh, uh, Philippians chapter one. Verse number 22, but if I live in my flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet I, what I shall choose I want not, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, Having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul's saying, hey, if I'm thinking of today of the places that I could be, I could be with Jesus or I could be here with you, and it's a lot better to be with Jesus, that's for sure. Paul was not saying in this case, hey, I can choose whether or not I want today to go to be with Jesus or I can choose today if I want to stay with you. He wasn't saying that. Paul's not suicidal. He's not talking about ending his own life or anything like that. Paul is saying I could focus on being with Jesus or I could focus on being with you. And because I'm gonna be with Jesus one day, I'm gonna focus on you because it's gonna be better for you. 
But here's what Paul was thinking. Paul was thinking, I'm going to meet Jesus at any moment. And he was ready for that. Paul was currently in prison. He didn't know if he would ever actually get out of prison here or not. He would be released from this, uh, this jail that he was in right now, only to be uh, rearrested later and then put to death for his faith. But he didn't know that at this time. He just knows I'm going to see Jesus one day. And you and I need to live with the idea that this life is very, very short. The Bible says that life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. That on the big, huge timeline of this world, eternity past to eternity future, your life is like a blip. There and it's gone. So I got to focus not on this life. I got to focus on what comes after this life. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. When you die, you will stand before God one day. And sometimes I'll ask people the question just for the sake of a good conversation. Hey, if you stood before God today and asked him, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That's a good conversation starter. It's something good to talk about. It's something for a good little back and forth. But please understand, when you stand before God, he's not going to ask you any questions at all about whether or not you should be allowed into heaven or not. That's already determined. The Bible says that none of us are deserving of heaven whatsoever. All of us deserve God's wrath and judgment and punishment. If you die in your sin, you will die and be separated from God in a place called hell for all of eternity. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve because we've broken God's law. We've sinned against God. And friend, the default destination for every human being on planet earth is hell. That's what we deserve. God says it because of our sin. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. God loves you too much for you to not have another option. The Bible says that God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure God's wrath and judgment, but Jesus took my wrath and judgment on himself so that I could be saved, so that you could be saved. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. No one can automatically apply that forgiveness to you if you don't ask for it. You've got to seek out God first. You have to believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he is the only way to heaven, and I'm asking God to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you'd be willing to do that today, you could be saved. The great news is you only have to be saved once because the Bible calls it being born again. And Jesus says it's so important. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You've got to be saved to go to heaven. There's no other way. So if you're here today and you say, I don't know for sure that if I die today, heaven's my home, then be sure before you leave here today that Jesus Christ is your Savior. I would love to sit down with you or have a guy sit down with a guy and a lady sit down with a lady and talk to you about how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and know for sure that heaven is your home. Everyone needs to be saved. You need to prepare for eternity because it's coming. And many people, though, for me, I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy and I grew up in a church that, that taught you need to be saved to go to heaven and that was good. But the moment that you found out that you were going to heaven, it's just like, okay, you're cool. Just kind of hang out here. Jesus will come back in a bit and whenever he does, it'll be awesome. All right, right on. And you know what? There's never any desire to live for Jesus or to know Jesus or to, <coughs> to know his word. There's no desire to live like Jesus. It was just kind of like, hey, hang out till Jesus comes. I think you're good now. But that's not what we were called to at all. And Paul says here in, in verse number 23, for I'm in a straight betwixt two, I have two choices that I could go, two ways that I could go, two paths I could choose, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He says, if I was gonna choose something, there's I can be with Jesus or I can stay in this world and <laughs> Being with Jesus sounds great. So if we're living with eternity in mind, we need to first of all have a desire to be with Jesus. I think most of us look at the direction that our world is going and we're a little bit disappointed. We all of us say, I wish things could be better. I wish things were different. I wish we could just all get along. I wish there wasn't so much crime and drama and hatred and, and, and strife in our world. Oh, man. It's going to be awesome. Just go to heaven and all that's over with. And some people incorrectly think, well, well, that's a desire to be with Jesus. No, that's not. That's a desire to escape this world. 
I've known people before who've gone through such hurt and difficulty and times of trial. They go, oh man, I wish all this was over and I could just go to heaven and be with Jesus. The desire to get out of trouble and heartache is not a desire to be with Jesus. But I want to be with Jesus because I love him. I want to be with Jesus because he saved me. I want to be with Jesus because being in the presence of Jesus is being in the presence of God himself. To be in the presence of Jesus, I no longer need the fruit of the Holy Spirit in me because I will be in the presence of everything that is love, everything that is joy, everything that is peace. I'll be with Jesus himself. How incredible that'll be. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul says we even as Christians are just like, oh, I can't wait till this is over. I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. All of creation is waiting for the return of Jesus Christ to put an end to all this strife and suffering. But the greatest joy of heaven will not be the end of suffering and the end of sin. It'll be the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, we're confident, knowing that while we're home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We're confident, and I say willing rather, to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Paul says, hey, if we had our choice, obviously being with God is better than being in this old messed up body in this messed up world. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans in the mid-1700s. And in his diary entry, it says this, Saturday, January, uh, Saturday June 12th, Spent much time in prayer this morning and enjoyed much sweetness. Felt insatiable longings after God much of the day. I wondered how poor souls do to live that have no God. The world with all of its enjoyments quite vanished. I see myself very helpless, but I have a blessed God to go to. I longed exceedingly to be dissolved and to be with Christ, to behold his glory. Oh, my weak, weary soul longs to arrive at my father's house. He said, man, I spent time in prayer with God this morning, and it was so awesome. I spent time in God's Word just walking with Him, and I thought to myself, man, how good it's going to be to one day show up at my father's house and to hear my father say, welcome home, son. I'm glad you're here. Wow. What a day that's going to be. Do you have a longing to be with Jesus? Or are you just trying to get everything you can out of this world, and then when it's over, at least you don't have to go to hell? Hey, Jesus is my fire insurance that I got my ticket punched for that at least I'm not gonna burn, but man, I'm just gonna live for this world. Oh, no, 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 you missed it. I wanna live so that the day that I see Jesus, it's even more sweet. I wanna live my life on this earth in such a way that I know Jesus so well that when I see him, it's gonna be like, oh, finally, I get to see him. Fanny Crosby was a hymn writer wrote many of the hymns that we know and sing today. She was blind, and someone once asked her, Fanny, when you get to heaven, how will you know Jesus? How will you know what he looks like, seeing that you haven't ever seen anybody else before? And she wrote a hymn and says, I will know him, I will know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. And she just had a longing to be with Jesus, a longing to see Jesus. Many of the songs that she spoke of, uh, that she wrote, speak of the desire to be in the presence and worship Jesus. I really want to be with him more than I just want to be past this world. Martin Lloyd-Jones summarized it this way. He said, what are you looking for and hoping for in heaven? Let me ask you a question that perhaps should come before that. Do you ever look forward to being in heaven? A person looks forward to death simply wants to, who wants to get out of this life because of its troubles. That's not Christian, that's pagan. The Christian has a positive desire for heaven. You look forward to being in heaven. More than this, what do we look forward to when we get to heaven? What is it that we're desiring? Is it the rest of heaven to be free from trouble and tribulation? Is it peace? Is it joy? All those things are to be found there, thank God. But that's not the thing to look forward to in heaven. It's the face of God because the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you have a desire that wants to be with Jesus? 
not just in my time and reading through his word, not just my time and following after his example, but to really be with him. What a day that's gonna be. To be able to be with believers throughout all of human history gathered together in the throne room of Jesus Christ, singing praises to God together. I cannot imagine how those voices will ring together like that. What a day that's gonna be. But many Christians can't think that far ahead because we're too focused on what other people think of us. We're too focused on, do people like me or not? Do I, am I successful enough? Do I have enough money? Do I drive a nice enough car? Do I live in a nice enough house? And their focus and priorities is not on the things above, it's on the things of this world. And so we need to look at this and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. this life is not about me. This life is all about Jesus. But not only a desire to be with Jesus, but also a desire to bring people to Jesus. Again, as a kid, I grew up in a church that was doctrinally exactly the same as our church, but had a different philosophy of ministry, I guess you could say, or a different uh, set of priorities, if you will. I remember as a kid singing this song, When We All Get to Heaven. How many of you have ever heard this song before? When we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. It was always fun to shout. It was fun. Happy song about heaven. You know, it's funny, the church that I grew up in, we used to sing that song all the time, be pumped up that we're going to heaven. Not one single solitary time do I ever remember anyone ever sharing their faith with someone else to help them get to heaven. And then I realized if a church is just a pep rally for all the people that are going to heaven and we forget about all the people who aren't, shame on us. We're not really doing the work that Jesus called us to do. Shame on us for being so smug and self-righteous that we don't care about the world around us that's dying and going to hell. We're just glad that we're not. Praise God, I'm not going to, to hell. That person can, but at least I'm not. I don't know. A true focus on eternity, a true understanding of a desire to know Jesus is to be involved in the things that Jesus was involved with and to care about the things that Jesus cared about. And Jesus cared about people. We need to have a desire to bring other people to Christ. David said in Psalm 71, here's what he said, when I'm old and gray-headed, oh God, forsake me not. God, don't leave me hanging when I'm an old man, okay? Because I still got work to do. Here's what he says. Until I've showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. God, when I'm an old man, I want you to give me some gas in the tank because I'm not done yet. I wanna continue to let people know how good you are and I wanna show your power to every single person that's coming behind me. That's a desire to live with the eternal in mind. Keep your finger here in Philippians 1. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 9. I love the book of Romans. It is so rich, so powerful. One of these days, I'm gonna preach through the book of Romans when I can mark off about five years on the calendar uh, to be able to take my time. Uh, as you can tell with my pacing, we wouldn't get through Romans very quickly. Uh, I have a pastor friend of mine who's getting ready to start Romans in the next couple of weeks. And I said, how long do you think it'll take you? He goes, I'm looking at probably maybe a year, year and a half. I go, man, that's cruising through it. Um, and so there's just so much good stuff in the book of Romans. But Romans chapter nine, verse number one, I want you to take a look at what Paul says. Verse number one, Romans 9, one, I say the truth in Christ, I'll lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. Now here's what Paul says. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm not gonna lie. And the Holy Spirit is my, my witness. <laughs> what do you have to say, Paul, that you'd have to three times tell us that you're really, really, really telling the truth? That I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why, Paul? For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Here's what Paul says. I'm so burdened over the fact that my family, that my countrymen, Israel, they don't know Jesus. I'm so burdened that I would go to hell if it meant that they could come to Jesus Christ. That's how heavy this is for me. Oh, uh, Paul's just like, speaking in hyperbole, Paul's speaking with big, no, no. Paul says in verse number one, I'm telling the truth, I'm not gonna tell you a lie, and the Holy Spirit is my witness. I would be willing to be accursed from Christ to go to hell myself so that other people could go to heaven. 
I feel like I've got healthy love for the lost, wanting to bring people to Christ, wanting to see people saved. I, I think I have a healthy desire to see Christ's name magnified in my life. I can be honest with you this morning. I can, I can tell you, I don't desire to go to hell so that more people can come to heaven. I just don't. I'm not there yet. And Paul's not talking about his, his mom or his dad or his brother. Like for, for me, I would gladly give my, my own life so that, that one of my children could go to heaven any day. But he's talking about his countrymen. He's talking about that guy over there on the sidewalk that doesn't give a rip about the things of God and never will. Paul's saying, I would willingly go to hell so that he could go to heaven. Unfortunately, that's not how things work, and Paul knows that. Knows that. But he says, I would. That's how heavy Paul's heart was for the lost. He was gripped by the fact that people that he knew, loved, rubbed shoulders with, that lived in his community would die and spend eternity in hell apart from God and there was nothing that he could do about it and that was heavy for him. But you know, at least I'm good. No. While I am prepared for the return of Jesus Christ, Look, if Jesus Christ came back this afternoon, I can honestly tell you there's not a relationship in my life that's messed up that I would want to make right. There's not any sin in my life that I wish I could repent of first. There's not any way I would want to put my affairs in order or anything like that. I'm ready for Jesus to come back this afternoon. And I would be glad to see him this afternoon. Now, I'm not trying to die. I still ride with a seatbelt on. I still obey the crosswalk signs and things like that. I'm not trying to die. I still love to walk my girls down the, the aisle when they're 45 or 50. Um, I got some things I want to do with my life, you know? But here's the thing. If Jesus came back this afternoon, I'd be delighted to see him. Delighted. Because I realized that he could come back this afternoon. But while I am ready to meet Jesus, I know at least two dozen people that I know their names and could say them to you right now that are not ready to meet Jesus, that if he came back this afternoon, it would be the worst day of their life. I know that. And that, Paul says, should be a motivator for us to remember Jesus is coming back, but help other people get ready. So to desire not only to be with Jesus, but also desire to bring other people to Jesus. Turn back to Philippians 1, if you would. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse number 22. But I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. From a straight betwixt two, having a desire to part be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You see, we have to live an others-focused life. Here's what he says. <laughs> if it were up to me, and it were just me, I'd love to go to heaven. But it's not up to me, and it's not just me, so being with you actually is better. It's more needful. Notice the end of verse number 24. He doesn't just say it's more needful. He says it's more needful for you. It's not needful for Paul. Paul's gotten everything he needs out of life. Paul says it's more needful for you. You see, Paul's in prison, not focused on himself. He's focused on others. Not one single solitary time do you find in any of the prison epistles where Paul gripes and complains about being in prison. Not once. Even in Philippians 1 here, he goes to the opposite end of the spectrum and says, hey, I know some of you probably heard what happened to me, but it's actually okay because the gospel's going further, so don't sweat it, I'm all right. He doesn't one time ever complain. You know what he's focused on? Other people. He's got his priorities in a different place. Jesus was walking down the road with his apostles and they were all talking about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. <laughs> and James and John's mom somehow gets into the conversation. And she walks up and she's like, hey, Jesus, uh, my boys want to sit on your left hand and right hand when you get to heaven. When, you, when you're in your kingdom, my boys want to be on your left and your right hand. Can you imagine your mother going to Jesus and having this conversation. Like, I was embarrassed when my mom wrote my initials in my underwear when I had to go to camp in the summer, right? But, like, to have your mom, like, go and say, like, hey, Jesus, uh, my boys want to sit with you in your kingdom, one on the left, one on the right. Is that cool with you? Like, Mom, stop it. And Jesus turns to, to them and says, guys, you don't even know what you're asking. Here's what he says. 
can you drink from the same cup that I do? And you know what they said? Yeah, we can. <laughs> you guys don't get it. You're asking something of God in the flesh. This just goes to show that they, even the apostles, guys that walked with him for years, didn't have a clue as to the depths and the gravity of who Jesus Christ himself was. But Jesus told them this. Hey, you know what? Whoever's gonna be the greatest among you is gonna be the servant. You see, the Gentiles, the unsaved people, these are the ones who make a big deal about how many servants they have and who's under whose authority. But I'm telling you this, that the greatest among you will be the servant of all. He says, whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. For the Son of Man, Jesus says, came not in this world to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, you guys got it mixed up. You're living for yourself. You want a seat at the table that you're not authorized to sit at. You want to sit by a throne that you're not authorized to sit by. You know why? Because you're all worried about yourself. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the biggest? No. Who's going to be the greatest is the one of you that serves everybody else. Paul, he wasn't in prison thinking about himself. Like, who's going to take care of me? What are you going to do for me? Paul didn't write letters to people asking them to send stuff for him. Paul wrote letters encouraging people to live for Jesus. For us, this is why we place such a high importance on discipleship in our church. Because we want people to know Jesus so that they can live for Jesus and then can pass that on to somebody else because life's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about Jesus. It's all about making Jesus known to other people. And Paul's living really with an others-focused life. And that's why our Jesus-focused life can bring joy to others. Paul says in verse number 24 again, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance and the joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming to you. Here's what Paul says. I know that it's better for you that I'm here, and so I'm here. I know that if I live for Jesus and I live with you, for you, to serve you, that my life will bless yours and you'll have greater joy. Think about this. The way that you live your life can increase the joy of those around you. I'll say that again. The way that you live your life can increase the joy of those around you. Wow, wouldn't that be something? No, that's how it's supposed to be. Well, that sure would be nice. No, no, no. That's how you're supposed to live so that my life blesses others. So that my joy blesses others. So the way that I live my life increases the joy of those around me. That's how I'm supposed to live. Again, look at what Paul says in verse number 25. I know that I shall abide and continue with you in all furtherance of your joy and faith. I want your faith to go further and I want your joy to go further. And notice what he says in verse number 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming unto you. Paul says, when we, if we get together and we get to, to hang out, our joy is gonna overflow in how good Jesus is. So the question is, does your Jesus-focused life bless others? Again, I was, I was raised in a home with two Christian parents who were just doing their best. My parents make mistakes. Yes, they did. And I made mistakes as a parent as well. No parents are perfect. But here's what my parents did. They tried to focus on Jesus the best that they knew how. They didn't know a lot, but they were faithful to what they did know. And you know who was blessed because of that? I was blessed by that. And so now I've chosen to live a life to follow after God. Now I've gotten to a point in my life where I know Jesus more and I know more about the Bible than my parents taught me. So now I have an opportunity to teach my kids more than what I learned. That's a blessing. But now I get to live my life in a way that it blesses other people. 
And now other people can be blessed from my life because my parents taught me what I was supposed to do and where I was supposed to go and how I was supposed to act. And so now I live a life that's able to bless others and we get to pass that on to our children. If you have a family, number one people that should be blessed by the way that you live your life. If you don't have a family, bless other people around you. If you do have a family, continue to bless other people around you. That's why we want to be generous people because God is generous. I want to take the things that God's given me and not use them for my own selfish needs, but I want to use them as a way to bless and help other people around me. I want to live a life that honors and glorifies God. Paul says uh, in chapter number two of Philippians, verse number 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, I'm, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause you do also joy and rejoice with me. <laughs> Paul said, this whole thing of me living a Jesus-focused life that blesses you and you living a Jesus-focused life that blesses me, we just continue to bless each other and our joy is made greater because of what God's doing in our lives. So I want to encourage you, not, please, 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 don't live a selfish life. It's miserable. It's disappointing. It's empty. But when you live a life of Jesus first, and I want to live for Jesus so that I can bless and encourage others, man, that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> my, my wife and I usually categorize people into one of two categories that we spend time with. There are the life givers. These are the people that the more that you spend time with them, the more encouraged you are. Uh, these are the people that always take a bad situation and turn it around for good, always have a kind word to say, always have an encouraging word to say. I had a friend came by the church here this week and did some work. We went to lunch afterwards. And man, after he left, I thought, man, what a great guy. I was so encouraged to hear what God's doing in his life. So encouraged. Life givers. And here's the thing. I want to be a life giver and I want to encourage you to be a life giver. The second category person, the life suckers. These are the people that the more you spend time with them, the more down you get, the more depressed you are, the more discouraged you'll be because everything's terrible. The sky's always falling. The, everything's about to go off the rails and it's never gonna come back again and life will never be again what it ever was before and it's just terrible. And these are the people that will suck the life out of you. Please don't be a life sucker. Be a life giver. You have a choice to do that. You have a choice to have joy. We have a choice, uh, choice to focus on this world and the circumstances. But for us, we're gonna focus on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Final thoughts this morning, we're done. First of all, live a life that pleases God. Quit worrying about what other people think about your life and live a life that pleases and honors God. If there's some expectation of what you're supposed to do with your life or how you're supposed to live or anything like that, let all that be set to the side and say, I just want to please my Heavenly Father first and foremost. Look, I, I told my kids, I don't care where you go to college. I don't care if you go to college. I don't care what kind of job you have. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what kind of house you live in. I don't care if, what kind of car you drive or if you even have a car. I just want you to be a man of God. I want my girls to grow up to be women of God. I don't care about anything else. Look, what job you have is just a means to an end to buy groceries. It's not who you are. You're not of more value because you have a better title. You're not of more value because you have a better education. It's just a means to an end. How do you put money in your bank account so that you can buy groceries and serve the Lord? Because if we are children of God, we're not laying up for ourselves treasure here on earth, but treasure in heaven. And my job, how I make money is just a way for me to sock away treasure in heaven. I'm not focused on the things of this earth. So I've told my kids, I don't care what you do with your life. Just honor God. Do the right thing. Walk in righteousness and holiness. Live a life that reflects the glory and the majesty and the awesomeness of God. Live a life that magnifies Jesus. Everything else honestly doesn't matter. But people get stuck in a rut. And they feel like they've got to please people. They've got to, to receive the attention of this world. Things like social media have created an environment where it just sucks your life away because you're living for other people, but you never stop to live for God. And if you just live for God and believe the Bible, you'd be fine. You know why? Because the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If I put God first, 
Everything else falls into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I just need to focus on putting God first, and everything else will work itself out. So live a life that pleases God. Secondly, live a life that was worth Jesus dying for. For you to live, for you to be forgiven, for you to be adopted into the family of God came at a very, very high price. It was the price of God's own son. Would you make that a worthy investment? My son Vanderlei is uh, 18, freshman in college, working three jobs, trying to save as much as he can. He's got a budget, he sticks to it. His, his brother was uh, talking last week. He's just like, oh, I can get a, a meal over this place for $6 a day. Vanderlei goes, that's terrible. He goes, no, no, it's $6 for a lot of food. Vanderlei goes, if you did that every day, that'd be like $1,500 a year. What's wrong with you? That's just like, I just thought it was a good deal, $6 for a lot of food. And Van's thinking like money, you know. We put him through Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, and there's a good thing and a bad thing, I think, for him. We were talking last night, you know, he said, hey, got some extra money, I want to start investing. What should I invest in? We began to talk about the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k. We talked about the stock market and high yield, low yield stock. I don't know a lot about investing. Uh, we're just talking about the stuff that I know. And he said, what's something that I can invest in and get a big return on? I go, if you find it, let everybody know because it's what everybody wants to do. He's like, oh. <laughs> is there something you can invest in with a small risk and a big reward? If you find out what that is, let everybody know because everybody's trying to get there. And he said, so really what you want to do is you want to make small investments along the way that at the end pays off big time at the end. Right. Okay, good. Good. And I thought to myself, that's life. Everybody's looking for the quick payoff, right? Everybody's looking for what's going to make me happy by this weekend. Everybody's looking at what's going to make me happy this week. But we need to make small investments along the way that are the big payout at the end. And the end is eternity. But here's the thing. Jesus died for you. That was an investment. Make that a good investment. Give him a good return on his investment. Don't make that wasted. Don't squander that so that at the end of your life, you're like, eh, I don't really have anything to show for it. I, I don't know Jesus gave his life for me so that uh, I get to go to heaven. That was a terrible way to live. Remember I had a conversation with a guy who was a professing Christian one time who said, Jesus died to set us free from the, the rules of religion. He died to set us free from the law by fulfilling the law. Galatians chapter, the whole book of Galatians tells us that. Yeah. No, no, no. Jesus died so it doesn't matter how we live now. Oh, you've misunderstood the Bible then. No, no, no. Jesus died to set us free from rules and regulations and you and I get to live in freedom ever how we want to. No, no, no. I was with you until you said ever how you want to. Because freedom is living under the authority of Jesus Christ. And freedom is found in, in walking in righteousness and holiness. Jesus didn't die so we can live how we want to. Romans chapter 6 tells us, make yourselves slaves to righteousness, not unrighteousness. But the idea that Jesus died so that I can sin more? What? You don't understand the gospel. Jesus died to set me free from sin, not to wallow around in it like a pig in mud. No, I want to live a life that at the end of my life, Jesus could step back and go, totally worth it. We'll do it again. Totally worth it. Good investment. I don't want him to be like, <laughs> you made it to heaven, but that wasn't really what I had in store. That wasn't the plan that I had. No, I want to live a, a life that was worth Jesus dying for. I want that to be a good investment in my life. Next, live a life that blesses others. I'm speaking to a room full of the richest people in the world today. You, go, oh, you haven't seen my bank account. I'm not the richest people in the world. Did you know that half the world's population lives on less than $3 a day, $2 a day? The world's population, 50% of them live on less than $2 a day. So, if across your bank account this week you'll have $60 come through your account this month, you're in the richest 50% of the world. The richest, uh, the poorest 
97% of the world will live on less than $500 a month. So if you make more than $500 a month, you're automatically the top 3% richest people in the world. Do you use your wealth to bless other people or is it all for you? When you get an increase, do you look to increase your standard of living or do you look to increase your standard of giving? Or is it all about you? And again, I'm, I'm speaking to a room full of incredibly generous people too. Our church is incredibly generous. But I want to encourage you to continue to live with the idea that my life has the opportunity to bless other people. Final thought, live today as if you meet Jesus tonight. I can't guarantee that you won't meet Jesus tonight. But I want you to live your life with eternity in mind. This November will mark the uh, one-year homegoing of a man in our church, Carlos Contrades. Carlos came here. He had um, struggled with addiction. He'd been in jail and got out of jail and really wanted to get his life right. He got saved wanted to walk with Jesus, wanted to go through discipleship, and one of our men took him through the process of discipleship. When he graduated from his sobriety course, you know, one of the men of our church was there to have his picture taken with him and encourage him and help him. Carlos was growing, wanted to learn what it meant to be more of a man of God, what it meant to, to be a solid man for his children that he had and to what growth looked like in his life. And man, this dude was red hot, red hot. He was shuffling his schedule around at work so that he could be at church more on Sundays. At the time, we had a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service. He wanted to be at both of them, but he couldn't because of work, and he was trying to move his schedule around so that he could actually be at church more often. Around Thanksgiving time, we had a pie and praise fellowship time, and Carlos had come and had just gotten off work and had bought this $30 pie, beautiful pie and brought. My wife saw it, and, and she, she recognized it. Like, that was a really nice pie, and she said, Carlos, there's a nice pie that you brought here tonight. He goes, I want it to be nice for our church family. I go, man, that's awesome. What a heart this guy had. He said, uh, one of our men text messages that week, says, hey, I want to grow as a man of God. What are some areas you see in my life where I need to grow? The following Sunday, Carlos didn't come to church, and, and we had just assumed that he was trying to get his schedule situated at, at, at work so that he could be off full-time on Sundays and be in church. And then uh, that Tuesday, I got a phone call from his auntie who said, um, Carlos passed away last, last weekend. What happened? Carlos had gone out for a walk on a, at night, car had swerved off the road, hit him, just like that with Jesus. Man, we, we were grieved by that, disappointed, shocked, didn't understand. But you know what the awesome thing was? as we began to compare notes, as we began to share text messages that we'd have with Carlos, we saw an incredible legacy of faith in what the gospel does. You see a guy who was an addict, who just got out of jail, who is now a man of God, walking in, walking in righteousness and holiness with a desire to please and honor God, with a desire to share his faith with other people, to bring other people to Christ. Oh man, you talk about a guy who was ready to meet Jesus? I want to go out like that. I want to leave behind me a legacy of faith. I want to leave behind me knowing that my life was right before God. Man, I get to see Carlos one day in heaven. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt because we're saved, 100%. But we don't know when we'll meet Jesus. Are you ready to meet him tonight? Some of you might say, well, I need a little bit more time. I got a couple of relationships. I got to get squared away. I got to need to make things right with this person over here. Do it today. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. I got this sin that I'm struggling with. Confess it today and be done with it because you don't have a promise of tomorrow. Again, I can say with 100% certainty if Jesus came today, I'd be delighted to see him. But here's the thing. If Jesus is coming tonight, there's some people I know that need to know him. I got to get to work on that. There's some people I know that need to make some things right. I want to help them make that right. Some people I know that are living below the standard that God has set for him. I want to help him bring it up to that standard. Look, at the end of all this, it does not matter what other people think of you, what worldly possessions you have, how much money you have. It only matters what you've done for Jesus and what you've done for others.
C.T. Studd wrote a familiar poem called Only One Life. It's a long poem. I won't take time to read all of it, but the final stanza said this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. I'd like to think that when it's my time to go, I'll say, I finished my course. I've run my faith, my, my, my race. I've kept the faith. I still have joy. And when I get to heaven, I'm gonna be so thankful to see Jesus. And I brought some other people with me. I lived a life that blessed other people. I wanna be an encouragement to other people. That other people would say, my life was enriched because I knew him. Not for me, but because I pointed him to Jesus. Or I can live the way that everybody else lives. And I can be miserable like everyone else is. And I can feel empty like everyone else is. Or I can live with an eternal purpose to magnify Jesus. I want to encourage you to live with that purpose in mind. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.